out. Everybody. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Lights Out Podcast. I'm your host, Josh. As always, I'm joined in the studio by my brother, Joel, and producer. And today we are going to be covering the Aerial School UFO Encounter. And this comes all the way out of Ruwa, Zimbabwe, all the way over in Africa, which of all places, you know, it's kind of one of the last places that you would think something like this might happen. But what they experienced there is a true phenomenon that has really yet to be explained to this day. And what makes this particular incident so unique is the fact that there were so many witnesses, both adults and children. And I just thought with all of the UFO news going on right now, I mean, I don't know if you've looked at the news lately or you, you know, watch the news, but they've been talking about UFOs nonstop. And it's kind of really become a big topic of discussion among people because there's all this debate about what are these UFOs? What, you know, who's piloting them or what are they? And right now we're waiting on the Pentagon to release their UFO reports on, you know, all the findings from the the different programs that they had going for a long, long time and kind of tell us what they found. But then I saw another report that came out that was like, you know, we're still don't know what UFOs are, but we found no evidence that it's aliens, right? And I think a lot of people assume that UFOs equals aliens and it doesn't necessarily equal aliens, but I don't think you can necessarily rule out the possibility that these UFOs are piloted by aliens either. So it's, it's just one of those t- strange times to be alive where, you know, we don't know what's going on with this phenomenon. We just know that it exists. It's real, despite the government lying to us for 100 plus years that I UFOs know. don't exist, that, you know, what are you talking about? You, what do you mean you saw a flying saucer? So Right. It is good to see that at least now they're, you know, bringing out this information to the public and you know, just getting everyone aware of what's going on as as opposed to hiding it as they have been doing. Right. Taking it seriously for once. Yeah. Because the implications of these UFOs, I don't think fully has been realized by the general population that what if we do find out that these crafts are in fact being piloted by some being from some other star system or some other planet? I mean, it's going to completely just change the world. Mm Mm-hmm. And the aerial school event in Zimbabwe took place in the 90s. And I mean, events like this have been taking place since literally the beginning of time. I mean, if you've ever ever watched the Ancient Alien show, they really push for, you know, aliens being around way back in ancient civilizations, going all the way back to the Sumerians, to the Egyptians and all that, which, you know, a lot, there is a lot of evidence to support that, but just just most recently in the, like the last 20 30 years i mean some of the events that have that have occurred have just been truly not only breathtaking and and beautiful when you talk about something like the phoenix lights but with the zimbabwe incident it you know a lot of ufo events come back to who saw it and how many people were they and this is one of those events where it's so many people that saw it it's really hard to deny that it it didn't happen right. right and children too like most didn't have the background knowledge of these ufos until we see in this story that you know what they did see was in fact something out of this uh you know this universe or yeah. this life right extraordinary for sure yeah so that is what we're getting into today and i think it's it's totally appropriate with with the times that we're living in that we continue to study and really look at some of these ufo stories because 
to me, they're extremely fascinating. And I think there's something to be learned from every single one. And hopefully you get something out of it too. But with that being said, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by everyplatestamps.com and Halo Collar. Also, thanks to everybody who continues to leave reviews and ratings for us. We're actually close to hitting 5,000 on Apple Podcasts. So if you haven't reviewed us there, uh, we'd really appreciate it if you did. It just helps our visibility in the charts and helps other people, you know, find another good show to listen to. And, you know, not only that, make sure you're subscribed to us on YouTube and following us on Spotify. We'd really appreciate it because those are just easy, free ways to help us. Uh, We're also working on some new merch. Finally got that kind of uh, going finally. So hopefully we'll be able to unveil some of that in the near future. And I just want to thank everyone who took the time to send us an email uh, either about some merch ideas or topic suggestions. As of today, I've gone through every single email that has been sent to us and wasn't able to get back to everyone, but um, we've just been compiling a list on maybe possible topics that we'll cover in the future. And I must say I was surprised because our biggest topic, as far as the most suggestions, have been paranormal and uh you know love seeing that but (laughs) paranormal despite the fact that we are experiencing the paranormal (laughs) over here in the studio and now in my house and Mm -hmm. so which on that point it's interesting all of your guys's responses especially to the last episode that we did where we were discussing joel's latest experience here staying at my house and the scratch marks that he had and Mm -hmm. and you know the figure that you you believe you saw and just some of the other strange things that have happening and and you know really trying to sort of wrap our heads around it and yeah it's interesting because it seems kind of isolated to joel as far as like the physical yeah effects of whatever this this is that's happening as of lately i would say so because i mean i live here and i have not personally had anything physical happen mm-hmm. i've had the knocking happened and then my wife has woken up once and just like excruciating pain in her back yeah sort of unexplained like it was really weird because it just was like out of nowhere and in the middle of the night she woke up and she just was like in agony from this back pain but but then again i mean that could have just been something totally totally normal and it just seemed creepy to me because mm-hmm. it was in the middle of the night but i i don't know like a lot of your guys's suggestions and obviously i'm definitely going to be doing some different things to hopefully cleanse whatever is here yeah. or as some of you mentioned make an offering or something like that to it to Hopefully, you know, maybe we did something that pissed something off or somebody off. But I'm coming to the conclusion that nothing that's happening is demonic. Uh, I don't feel like I'm under like a demonic attack by any means. If anything, I feel like perhaps there is a child spirit uh, on this property. Um, Could be. Absolutely. Because there's just not enough symptoms of like poltergeist activity. Uh, that I have personally experienced being here. A lot of stuff is just subtle and I don't feel any changes to myself. Right. Like well, it's like, what what do the Warrens say? It's a three-step process. It's infestation, oppression, and possession. True. That's how it goes. And <laughs> Yeah. And uh, I don't think you're even seeing infestation. No. I, I think if anything, I do believe that just based on some of the things that we talk about on the show and some of the past episodes we've done, especially when we're literally like, saying demons names and things like that i I do understand how that could potentially call things to Mm -hmm. us you know like if we're in just speaking about it's interesting because you and i grew up 
always being told don't you know we were we were in the family that was like you can't read harry potter right because it talks about witchcraft mm -hmm. and and magic or whatever because and they would be like if you do you're gonna bring bad things upon yourself right and now i've realized to some extent obviously not harry potter but like <laughs> when yeah. talking about real more real life scenarios and stories and and you know demons that people claim to have encountered how that might be somewhat true and and in a very small level maybe some things are you know some activity manifests itself as a result of the right. things that we talk about which i think is really interesting and it wouldn't surprise me but mm -hmm. but then again you know I, i've never really experienced anything super negative mm -hmm. or any sort of physical touch before but then again i mean i know i feel like i'm i have a good grasp on things and i'm probably not as susceptible to it or i don't know more guarded when it comes to yeah. it and there's more in i don't want to go on and on about all this because this could be a whole nother it podcast could be. where we could dive into just what, what you know how does paranormal activity really start yeah and go through really look into the process of a haunting and possession uh -huh. and things like that from a and that's a, that's the hard thing about it is it really comes back to belief systems. Mm -hmm. Everybody believes something different, and from a faith perspective, you know, if you're approaching it like Ed and Lorraine Warren do from a Catholic faith perspective, it's these things that they would probably say that we are inviting negative yeah. spirits and entities and demons and stuff to fuck with us because we talk about the things that we do yeah which is possible i think which is possible but, but at the same time I'm like uh, i don't know but i must say just to clear the air this has been like my only true experience of param paranormal activity was you know this this last week or so when you guys were gone and i was watching the house like i've never had any kind of experience like this before in my life and you know, if, if I was truly like under a demonic attack by, you know, a spirit or something, I would think it would follow me home and I would continue to, point to experience up. these symptoms. But it's only been randomly when I'm watching your house here or you and I have experienced this stuff ourselves. Yeah, it's and weird. It's really weird. So I, I think it could have something to do with the property. <laughs> Which again, and it comes back to, that's why they call it un unexplained phenomena, yeah. right? It's because yeah. it's unexplained. I, do, I could be something perfectly normal. It could be coincidences. I mean, it could be a lot of different things, mm -hmm. but it is odd. It is. It's definitely odd. It makes you think. It makes you wonder. And, it, you know, it doesn't help that we're over here diving into all this <laughs> yeah. stuff and yet things are happening around, right. happening around us. and people that are more experienced in this type of stuff and in this world are seeing things mm -hmm. you know and they're they're pointing out things that they notice on different episodes yeah. or just you know some of the things that we say they're like oh that's that's exactly what it is that's right. what you're saying is is true so i don't know it's, it's very all of this is so fascinating to me i find it all like one of the most interesting things yeah, you me possibly too. dive into because it is like this game of like is it is it true or is it not is it reality or is it our imagination are we making this stuff manifest because we made it manifest right. or is it something else unexplained that is happening that we just don't fully understand so right welcome to the world of paranormal <laughs> yeah so yeah no it's just it's interesting and and you know I, i'm not gonna stop talking about this stuff I, no. I find it interesting i'm not i'm not scared i'm not either i'm not scared of of really anything and you know obviously i know what you don't want to do because that could get you into some serious shit yeah. and you know obviously ouija board is always a right 
a, a gamble on, it is. on whether or not you're <laughs> going to have a good experience with that. So I know what to do and what not to do, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. It's very weird. We'll, we'll definitely keep you guys updated as, sure. as time goes on. And, and, and also once we move studios, cause we're going to be doing that hopefully in the next month. Yep. So we'll see if anything kind of follows us to the office or not, or if it just kind of stops once we yeah. move over there. Or if it starts up again, <laughs> if it starts up again at the new office we and know. shit starts happening over there, then we know that what yeah. we're talking about is having an effect on, on the, you know, environment around mm-hmm. us and stuff. So, yeah. So really. just, just want to give you guys an update on everything that's going on. And I do appreciate everyone who, you know, is looking out for yeah, the me concern. and Josh's uh, well-being and appreciate the concern. Yeah, we do. Just know, know everything's okay. We're, <laughs> so we're safe. We you are. Know, we're good. You know ordered some holy water so <laughs> yeah no nah, i'm just kidding but you know there's a lot of things that we could do if things really does get out of hand yeah. but for right now we're good we're safe we're golden and we're gonna get into this ufo encounter the zimbabwe aerial school ufo incident so on wednesday september 14th 1994 people across southern africa witnessed dazzling lights in the sky But these lights were unlike anything they'd ever seen before. It was a dark, clear night, and the brilliant flashes of shimmering lights were unmistakable. The phenomenon started at 8.50 p.m. that night and lasted about 15 minutes. The same thing happened the next night with even brighter, more spectacular lights than the night before. But then two days later, on Friday, September 16th, 1994, something much more bizarre and unexplainable occurred at the Ariel School. The Ariel School is a small private elementary school in Southern Africa, and it's located in Ruwa, which is about 10 to 15 miles outside the capital city of Harare. Ruwa is an agricultural community, and the school was founded by local farmers in 1991. By 1994, a few hundred students were enrolled in grades from one through seventh, and their ages ranged from six to 12 years old. The student body was racially diverse, but most came from wealthy farming families. And the morning of September 16th was a warm and sunny, with clear blue skies and absolutely perfect weather to play outside. At 10 o'clock, a group of kids at Ariel School were led outside to the schoolyard for their regular morning recess. The teachers were all inside attending a staff meeting. Allison Kirkman was the only adult outside watching the students. She was a volunteer mom running the tuck shop, which is a type of small shop that sells snacks and drinks, usually located in or around a school. The schoolyard was mostly an open area except for a few play structures that were set up near the classrooms, and the students weren't allowed beyond the yard. There was a hill and an area of tall grass, thick shrubs, and short trees that a kid could have easily been lost in. The kids never showed any interest in the area beyond the boundary, as there was nothing out there except for dense brushland. But that morning, a group of students from 6 to 12 years old were suddenly drawn to the edge of the schoolyard when they saw flashes of light in the distance. The students ran to the furthest spot from the school, where there was no playground equipment or really anything else to play with. They stopped at the edge of the yard and looked beyond the fence toward the hill. Because again, they're in a very rural area. You know, it's mostly dirt, except for some of these fields. And that's when the students watched in awe as a large silver craft appeared over the trees in the distance. Here's some of the witnesses and what they saw. A, a silver 
flash just like that. And I saw a few face. I saw the bigger one and a spaceship, like four or five of them, like crowding around it. They were very still. And then I saw them also disappear. They went about a meter off the ground and then they just vanished. The craft was elliptical shaped with a shiny surface with a bright white or golden glow. It hovered in the sky surrounded by four smaller hovering objects. Some of the younger children were scared, but at this point, most of the students were just curious as they had never seen anything like this before. As dozens of kids watched, the large craft flew over the schoolyard, hovered for a moment, and then landed in the field amongst some trees. And once the glowing object landed, more students ran over to see what was going on. And at this point, strange beings emerged from the craft. Some kids saw them materialize out of thin air. One or two of the beings stayed on top of the craft and looked down at the students in the yard. One being came down and headed toward them. By account, there were actually three beings. Two of them um, kind of remained um, within the line of sight from the playground to the craft. One of the beings actually darting from the craft um, towards the direction of the swimming pool. The most peculiar thing was the way in which it moved because it almost felt as if it would disappear and appear a few meters ahead of itself. The beings were about four feet tall with thin arms and legs, shiny black bodies, and a long, pale colored heads. Some of the kids thought their bodies were covered in jet black skin, while others believed that they were wearing tight black bodysuits. Several kids also noticed long black hair as well. Their most captivating feature though was their huge black eyes. They were the size and shape of rugby balls and were angled inward. It was hard to make out any other facial features, but at least one young boy got a good look at the being in the yard. He described the eyes as sitting lower on the cheek and saw a small slit for a mouth and slight protrusions on either side of its head that he believed were ears. Many of the children were terrified, but they didn't move. They were oddly fascinated by these beings and felt compelled to give them their full attention. When they made eye contact with this alien, it was impossible to look away because it was as if they were being hypnotized as they stared into their eyes. The one on the ground moved back and forth in front of the group of kids. A 12-year-old named Liesel and an 8-year-old named Emily described this movement as hopping alongside them while hovering. Emily said it was like skipping in midair, just like they skipped on the playground but never touched the ground. Other students described this movement from this being as running or bouncing like astronauts did on the moon. One or two beings on top of the craft paced back and forth, watching their companion assess the students below. Then they all stopped and stared straight at the kids. And as they stared back, several students felt a gust of wind and received a telepathic message. They saw visions of Earth's destruction caused by environmental catastrophes. And one student saw heavily polluted oceans. A fifth grader named Francis received a message that said, Pollution mustn't be. Twelve-year-old Liesel saw the Earth with no trees and no air to breathe. And she had a strong feeling that the being was warning her that humans were destroying the planet. An 11-year-old girl saw a quick slideshow of environmental destruction and a warning that humans must use technology more responsibly. Another student, Emma, received a similar message warning that too many advancements in technology are dangerous. I think they want people 
to know that we're actually making harm on this world and we mustn't get too technologized. The use of the term technologized is not something a young girl is likely to come up with on her own. A girl named Elsa felt the beings were trying to tell her the world is going to end and warning that humans need to take care of the planet and the air. Ten-year-old Isabel was scared of the being, but she couldn't look away. Her eyes followed instinctively, and she felt that the being's emotions were being transmitted to her, along with the message that humans are doing harm to the earth. She said she felt horrible inside when she got home that day. It was like all the trees will go down and there will be no air. People will be dying. And those thoughts came from the man, or the being, and their eyes. The incident lasted about 15 minutes total, but then the beings boarded the craft and it just faded from view. As soon as it was gone, the students ran to Allison, the only adult in the schoolyard. Some of them were screaming about a flying ship and little black men with big eyes. And Allison assumed the kids were playing a prank on her and she refused to leave her post at the tuck shop. When it was time to go back to class, the kids were still shaken up and the younger kids were just downright terrified. Some were even sobbing. The other kids tried to explain what had happened, but it didn't make any sense to the adults. So they continued with afternoon classes as usual, and then the students went home for the weekend. But that wasn't the end of it. Several students who received telepathic messages continued to feel unsettled, even once they were home and safe. Instead, they felt a horrible feeling of dread. Parents brought their children back to school later that day to search the schoolyard for signs of anything strange that had happened there. They peered over the fence into the brushland, and the short trees had no broken limbs. None of the bushes were damaged, and there were no signs of flattened grass, or something heavy may have landed. It wasn't that the parents believed their kids really saw alien life forms, but many knew their kids wouldn't lie. So they believed that something happened that morning at Ariel School that was just unexplainable. My dad doesn't really say too much about it, in the fact that he knew that I was not a child who lied and so therefore supported me, may not, may not necessarily have believed in UFOs or extraterrestrials himself, but knew enough that I wouldn't make something like that up or let alone be influenced by other people. That just was not me. When classes resumed on Monday, several parents demanded answers from the school because some of the kids were upset all weekend. A few younger children had been standing closest to the being on the ground were particularly traumatized. Multiple kids were excited by the incident and couldn't stop talking about it. And these kids wanted to investigate further. Whether or not their children were terrified or fascinated, all the parents wanted answers. The headmaster of the school, Colin Mackey, decided to have the kids document the experience. He separated all 62 witnesses and asked them to draw and write down exactly what had happened. And these accounts became invaluable resources for later investigators. They led to the aerial school UFO encounter becoming one of the most documented alien events in history because the kids' drawings and descriptions were remarkably similar. So it hardly seemed possible that they were all telling the same lie. The first reporter on that scene was Tim Leach, the bureau chief for Southern Africa for the BBC. And he reviewed the students' drawings and written accounts of the incident. And then he interviewed them on video. And as they retold their story, the details remained the same. They were confident and seemingly genuinely shaken as they recalled what they had seen and felt. 
Tim was a seasoned war reporter who had previously reported from active war zones in Rwanda and Angola. But nothing had ever really scared him until he got to the aerial school. At the time, he said, I could handle war zones, but I could not handle this. He wrote a letter requesting that Dr. John Mack came to Ruwa to investigate and signed it. This is for real. After Tim reported on the story, it was picked up by several other news outlets, including multiple South African TV channels. It even got the attention of Cynthia Hind, the first ufologist on the case. She was a field investigator for MUFON, or the Mutual UFO Network, and the editor of UFO Afro News. She then went to the Ariel School with her friend Gunter Hofer, who was an electronics enthusiast. Gunter swiped the schoolyard with a Geiger counter, a metal detector, and a magnetometer but didn't find anything unusual. They also sent samples of the soil where the craft had been to the University of Zimbabwe for testing, but they didn't find anything unusual either. The only evidence of the incident was accounts from the students. Cynthia also interviewed the witnesses and talked to the teachers and administrators of the school. She believed the kids were telling the truth, and she harshly criticized the school officials and parents who didn't take their claims seriously. Then she learned about the sightings a few nights before, Astronomers said the lights in the sky were a meteor shower, but dozens of witnesses reported seeing a cylindrical glowing object surrounded by two smaller orbs of light. In the recent past, there were other alien sightings that Cynthia had been investigating. There was a daylight sighting of strange beings by a young boy and his mom, and a trucker who saw multiple figures standing on the side of the road late one night. She described the sighting at the Ariel School as one of the most exciting UFO stories of this or any year. In 1995, Cynthia presented the Ariel School UFO Encounter at the International UFO Congress in England, bringing worldwide attention to the case. A few weeks after the conference, a full investigation into the incident was launched by Dr. John Mack. He was a Pulitzer Prize-winning Harvard psychiatrist and ufologist, and having someone with his esteem on the case helped legitimize it and convince administrators and parents that the kids weren't making anything up. He had recently started researching alien encounters in Africa when the news of the aerial school incident broke worldwide. He already had a flight scheduled for South Africa and he immediately changed his plans to make the aerial school investigations a top priority. John spent two full days interviewing all the kids on video, allowing them to take some time and space in order to recall the traumatic and confusing event. Here's some clips of John actually interviewing some of the kids. It was silver. And the ring around it was red. Was red. Did light come from the whole thing? Or? There were lights around here. Lights along the edge there. How many of the strange beings did you see? I saw one over here. They, they had eyes like that. Mm-hmm. And they were kind of just like looking at us. They were like kind of astonished at what we were. He never said anything. It's just that the face is the eyes. They looked horrible. He had experience with other people who received telepathic messages from alien beings and there was often a theme of environmental catastrophe on Earth. He believed this could be why life forms from other planets and galaxies were making contact with human beings, as they could see that the Earth was heading for destruction, and were desperately trying to warn us. I don't really know, but it just popped up in my head. Pollution. The warnings the kids received were the most relevant aspect of the incident to his research. So he spent a lot of time talking to each child about what they saw and felt and how they interpreted the messages they received. John was assisted by Nikki Carter, 
a South African producer with experience in documentary-style filmmaking. Her half-brother went to Ariel School, and he wasn't there for the incident on September 16th, but it was all his classmates could talk about when he went back to school. When he heard the encounter may have been from outer space, he immediately contacted his sister, and she joined the investigation as well. In addition to assisting John, she covered the story for a news show called Agenda on SABC, which is a South African broadcasting corporation. John and Nikki were both sure the kids were telling the truth. Their stories were consistent, and they all spoke with conviction and confidence. Their experiences varied slightly from each other, depending on their age or how they interpreted the telepathic messages. But the main points all lined up. There was a craft that landed in the bushland beyond the schoolyard, and they saw short black beings that they had never seen before. And these beings had large eyes, and when they made eye contact with the kids, all of them felt compelled to stare back. Among the kids who received telepathic messages, they all talked about environmental destruction in one form or another. And John believed it was very important that the children be allowed to talk through what had happened for them to process it. He never accused them of lying or questioned them in an accusatory way. He was patient and kind. As a highly respected academic, he turned what could have ended up nothing more than a local legend in a scientific study of possible contact with alien beings. John had recently begun seriously studying reported alien sightings and abductions, and he was harshly criticized by his fellow academics. They believed he should be working on classifying alien abductions as a new psychiatric illness instead of legitimizing them. His book, Abduction, Human Encounters with Aliens, was published in early 1994. And that spring, the dean of Harvard Medical School appointed a committee to review John's work with the victims of alleged abductions, as well as his research into alien phenomena. This was the first time in Harvard's more than 380-year history that a tenured professor is being investigated by a secret committee. While contacting witnesses, word got out about the committee, and fellow academics criticized Harvard for secretly investigating a professor when there is no suspicion of misconduct, ethics, or violations. The inquiry lasted 14 months, and ultimately John was cleared of any wrongdoing, and he was free to research whatever he wanted. John responded by clarifying that he never tried to explain or interpret what had happened to the people he interviewed, adding that just because something isn't possible based on current scientific knowledge doesn't mean it's not possible. When he was interviewed by the BBC, he said there wasn't enough concrete evidence to definitively conclude the witnesses were abducted by aliens, but he was positive that something happened to them. They experienced a compelling, powerful phenomenon that he couldn't explain, which meant more investigation was necessary to get to the bottom of it. Here's John explaining. It is altogether like a real event in that person's life. It's not like an hallucination. It's not like delusion. It's not like fantasy. It's not like a dream. It is like something that really happened. John and other researchers were drawn to the Ariel school incident because there were so many witnesses who observed the same phenomenon. And because they were kids, a group not likely to make up stories for fame or fortune, as adults are often accused of doing. There was another important distinction with the Ariel school students. The parts of their experiences that differed from one another were affected by their individual interpretations of the incident. In 1993 and 1994, the Program for Extraordinary Experience Research, or PEER, founded by Dr. John Mack, researched cross-cultural and international reports of UFO and alien sightings, as well as experiences. 
Pierre wanted to answer the question of whether a person's culture affected their experience of aliens and UFOs. They found that cultural factors are likely to affect how a person interprets the experience. But if researchers can sift through these interpretations, what lies beneath are key facts. And that's what should be compared from one witness to another. Their Ariel school students came from multiple cultural backgrounds, including black African kids from several different tribes, Asian kids of Indian heritage, and white kids whose parents were from South Africa or Britain. And these cultural differences affected how they interpreted the incident and the language they used to describe it. For example, some of the kids came from tribes that believed in Tokolashe, which is a dwarf-like evil spirit from Southern African folklore. As a result, these children were more likely to be afraid, assuming the beings were there to hunt or kill them. Looking beyond the Ariel School incident, the experiences of alien sightings and abductions from around the world have several key facts in common. Brilliant, dizzying lights in the sky, small gray-colored beings with large pupilless eyes, apocalyptic visions, cryptic symbols, and telepathic warnings. And once John, Cynthia, and other researchers sifted through their kids' stories, they identified the consistent key facts, which was the craft, the little black men, and their large, compelling eyes, and a telepathic message about environmental destruction on Earth. So what really happened? What did they experience that day? What beings did they actually see? Well, we're going to get into some theories here in a minute, but before we do, we're going to take a quick ad break and we'll be right back. All right, so let's talk about some different theories here about what these children and this, you know, one adult that happened to be out there running that uh, little snack shop really witnessed and and was it anything at all? Many people just believe that the Ariel School UFO encounter was a case of just mass hysteria. If you're not familiar with mass hysteria, it's a sociological or psychological term that affects a group of people who all experience the same threat, illness, or set of beliefs based on rumors or fear. So many of the students at the Ariel School had no prior cultural knowledge of aliens or UFOs and could still describe and even draw the spacecraft and alien life forms. Here's Cynthia explaining more. Now, the people in Africa don't have television. They might have a radio, but I can tell you the media don't deal with UFOs there. They, but nervous of it. So where would they pick it up? Is it a mass uh, telepathy? These descriptions and drawings fit our modern cultural idea of UFOs, aliens, based on hundreds and thousands of previous descriptions by witnesses from around the world. In 2011, a research psychologist and doctoral fellow at the University of Malawi's College of Medicine wrote a paper called Episodes of Mass Hysteria in African Schools, a study of literature. And this paper provides a literature review of well-documented cases of mass hysteria within African schools. A simple definition of mass hysteria is a situation where multiple people suffer from the similar set of unexplained symptoms. The author explained that when this does occur within student populations, it was usually preceded by periods of high stress, such as before important exams take place. He also found that it was more prevalent among girls and boys in student populations. And the symptoms were prolonged when adults like teachers and parents legitimized the experiences and fears of the students. But once students were separated and questioned individually, the symptoms of mass hysteria usually resolved. And they resolve more quickly when the adults insist what the child experienced was a figment of their imagination. The students at the Ariel School didn't match these commonalities. They were between the ages of 6 and 12, 
and so wouldn't have had the same stresses when it came to their studies. There was also a mix of girls and boys amongst the 62 student witnesses. Many of the adults around them, including school administrators, teachers, and parents, didn't take their experience or fear seriously at all. The first adult they told, Allison Kirkman, in the tuck shop assumed they were playing a prank, and she had refused to even step into the schoolyard to see if they were telling the truth. Furthermore, the kids were all separated and told their stories individually multiple times. They wrote it out, they drew pictures, and were even interviewed on camera. And each time a student explained what had happened again, they did so in the exact same way and included the exact same details every single time. If this was a case of mass hysteria, one of these factors should have resolved the symptoms for at least one child. But nope, all 62 stuck to their story. Another study published in the Eastern African Medical Journal found that people in Africa are quick to blame cases of mass hysteria on supernatural things that are part of their culture, such as Satanism, witchcraft, or evil spirits. But again, these students were from diverse cultural backgrounds, with nothing in their belief systems about shiny spaceships or telepathic messages warning of environmental destruction. And yet, they all were very consistent in what they heard and saw that day. Some people have agreed with Allison Kirkman's initial assessment that this UFO encounter at the school is nothing more than an elaborate student prank. Robert Schieffer is a paranormal investigator with a focus on UFO sightings, and he's been a member of the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry for nearly 40 years, and he's also the author of UFO Sightings, The Evidence. And his assessment of the Ariel School UFO encounter was that the older kids at the school decided it'd be fun to play a prank on the grown-ups. And they pressured the younger kids into going along with the story and coached them on how to answer questions. Once the media and prominent researchers were involved, they had no choice but to continue the hoax. The younger kids may have been so thoroughly convinced by their older peers that they genuinely believed that the incident really happened. But because there's no physical evidence of the encounter, Robert believes it's far more likely that the kids pressured each other to make up the story, and that they were then pressured by the adults around them to keep the story going. While it's theoretically possible the whole thing was a prank taken too far, it's tough to say this is a likely explanation, especially considering that when these students were tracked down years later as adults, their stories have never wavered. After the initial media reports and investigation, most people forgot about the Ariel School UFO encounter, but it continued to profoundly affect the student witnesses for decades to come. The footage of the student interviews taken by Dr. John Mack was put in storage after his sudden death in 2004 when he was hit by a drunk driver in London, which many in the UFO community find suspicious to this day. To honor his legacy, his family started the John E. Mack Institute, and it wasn't until 2007 that the Institute decided it was time to do something with the interview footage. They commissioned Randall Nickerson to make a documentary about the incident, incorporating the original footage of student interviews. Randy is a New York-based filmmaker and producer, and he signed on to direct the project with assistance from Dominique Kalamanopoulos, a producer and researcher with a background in anthropology, cross-cultural studies, and psychology. And the goal is to tell the story as objectively as possible. Randy wanted to investigate using a scientific approach and then present the evidence in the documentary, just as he would in a court of law. The project was initially meant to be a short film that could be sold online. But once Randy started looking into it, he realized there was a much bigger story to be told. He had a lot of questions that couldn't be answered by the original footage or research files, so he knew he needed to talk to the witnesses himself. He knew traveling to Zimbabwe would be difficult, 
At the time, the U.S. State Department was warning against traveling there because of political unrest under President Robert Mugabe in the country's controversial 2008 election. And to make things worse, while planning a trip to South Africa, Randy was told Ariel's school had burned down. He was disappointed but not discouraged, and he kept planning his trip and soon discovered that he had been lied to. In fact, the school hadn't been burnt down. With renewed excitement, he traveled to Ruwa and visited the Ariel school. He interviewed several teachers and school administrators who had worked there in 1994. The headmistress gave him a tour of the school grounds and then showed him some of the drawings and written accounts from the students about the UFO encounter. While in Ruwa, he met with several other people who had seen the dazzling lights in the sky the two nights before the Ariel school encounter, and two people from other local schools who saw similar anomalies in the sky on September 16th, which was the same day as the incident at the school. He also met a paramedic who had treated some of the traumatized kids after the encounter, and the paramedic was convinced that they were telling the truth about what they had seen and was legitimately terrified. Rennie was more sure than ever before that this story needed a feature-length documentary to be adequately told. But first, he needed to be an investigative reporter, and he had to track down the students from the Ariel School incident. And because of the political unrest in the country, many of them had left Zimbabwe to attend school in Canada, the US, New Zealand, and England. So he started a Facebook page to start tracking them down, and one by one he found them and started scheduling interviews. By interviewing these witnesses as adults, he quickly discovered that they were all still profoundly affected by what they had experienced as kids on that clear morning in 1994. A witness named Francis, for example, ended up going to a hypnotist to try and process what he had seen. To be very honest, this was one of the biggest reasons why I had to do this for myself, which is why I actually um, um, sought out a hypnotist. This was never to, to sort of um, go out and just blindly confirm that yes what i believe i believe but i was also kind of hoping that it might not have been true because either way the answer that i was going to get was going to help me in one way or another move forward with my own life for some of them it opened up new opportunities for example randy spoke with a dad who had two kids at rl school who witnessed the ufo encounter before the encounter he never would have thought his kids would leave their home country but something changed that day they were different bolder and more adventurous. Then, as adults, they both moved to the U.S. for college. Another witness had believed the adults who told her she had imagined the entire thing. She told her parents that she never wanted to talk about it again, and she tried to forget what she saw. She lived her entire life thinking that her mind had played the ultimate trick on her, and because of that, she doubted herself constantly and questioned many of her own experiences. As an adult, she discovered the Facebook page Randy had started and saw her former classmates discussing this encounter with this craft, and she was stunned, suddenly realizing she hadn't made anything up. It all had really happened. In that moment, her life was changed forever. One of these former classmates, Sarah, talked to a reporter years later and said she lives in permanent fear of these things returning someday. She said she could sense when the aliens were back in Earth's atmosphere, adding that the experience had certainly fucked her up. In 2020, Randy revealed on a podcast that the grade 1 and 2 students who witnessed the encounter had been shielded from a lot of interviews, and so he made an effort to track down those students as adults, and their stories were still the same, just like the older kids. 
the, the teachers decided to, to leave the grade ones and twos out of the whole thing. They didn't want to scare them more. I went down and looked for those grade ones and twos and to find out what they saw. And their stories are just as incredible as the rest of the kids. It's the wow. same story. And actually, the younger kids, I believe, saw a lot more because they were out earlier on the playground. Randy also tracked down reporters who covered the story in 1994 and discovered that they were all profoundly affected as well. Even decades after, all of them had kept their original video footage and notes about the case. Something had compelled each and every one of them to save this evidence, believing it could be important someday. Once all these interviews were done, multiple fundraising campaigns helped raise the money for Randy to hire a full production team, and they got to work making the feature-length documentary called The Ariel School Phenomenon. The last update on the film's social media pages is from 2020, and it said the documentary is complete, and the team is looking for distribution. Posts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts have continued, but questions from followers about the film's release have mainly been ignored for at least the last year. In the comments, people debate why production has been delayed yet again, and some assume the COVID-19 pandemic is the culprit while others theorize that it's being suppressed by the government or even by the alien life forms themselves. Skeptics believe the people interviewed for the film are part of the lunatic fringe, but Randy and many others disagree. His response to critics is that the people who make things up for attention or to make money have all the answers. But when someone is telling the truth, they're the first to admit that they don't know why or how something happened. They just know what they saw and experienced for themselves. Experts and researchers who dedicate their lives to studying paranormal accept that there's a lot of the universe that we don't understand, and even more that we're completely unaware of. Perhaps the beings who visited the Ariel School in 1994 chose to communicate with the children because they are unbiased and open to far more possibilities than jaded adults are. Or maybe it's just easier to communicate telepathically with young minds. But whatever happened that day, those who talked to the witnesses agreed that it left an impression on them that feels as strong today as it did nearly three decades ago. It's also worth noting that the beings weren't wrong about the impending threat of environmental destruction of the earth caused by humans. If only we had listened. So at the end of the day, what was it that happened at the Ariel School? To me, I agree with this last explanation for the students that a, they wouldn't have likely known how to make up something like this. Right. Because they'd never been exposed to something mm -hmm. like this before. Or didn't really even have the knowledge of what aliens or UFOs are. Right, exactly. So it'd be hard for a youngster to do that, yeah. to make shit up without having any idea what they're talking about. And 62, I think it comes back to the number of people and the fact that their stories all, all are mm -hmm. the same. And the consistency amongst all of them is that they all witness the same thing. So it's like, right. it'd be incredibly, have you ever thought of an, is there any other scenario ever where 62 children all agree on the same thing? No, that they witnessed? none that I could think of. I, I Like, I think you could take 62 kids to the zoo yeah. and show, you know, walk them around all day and ask them to tell, tell you about a particular, you know, how was the lion exhibit? Mm -hmm. And they all give you a different answer or a different description or describe it you know right. describe what you saw at the lion enclosure they would all come back with different 
descriptions you know there'd be a lot that would be similar yeah. but all 62 having the same story very I similar think very we've yeah rare to impossible i feel like for that to happen yeah absolutely and you know what sticks out for me is at that moment i mean all it was the students who really witnessed this whole event and one of my biggest questions was you know where were the staff members because usually staff are going to be outside you know for like a recess or something like that but when i looked into this more the staff members coincidentally had a staff meeting yeah during this time yeah so what's interesting about that is like did the aliens somehow or you know whoever was know flying the these schedule UFOs, yeah know the schedule knew that the adults were, were were not where the students were right to where they could expose themselves to the innocent children right and you know i i think the whole prank thing is ridiculous because if 62 students there's no way they saw it yeah there's then, just no way a prank could ever be pulled yeah off that or or if the older kids even did try to convince the little ones i mean if any of this if anything about this was untrue one of the students would have snitched. I right. mean, there's always a snitch and yeah. there's none in this case. And they right. all saw this similar things yeah. and were able to draw it out and explain it. And years later kind of had some like PTSD or just a really kind of a traumatic event that happened to them where yeah. they could remember right. it so vividly. And it would make sense that some would be scared. Some would see it as like a, almost like a awakening for mm-hmm. them. Like I think everybody ultimate, I think everybody witnessed and experienced the same thing, but obviously the effect of that experience is going to differ per person because everybody's scared of different things and yeah. just, it's going to, you know, it might have had a lasting impact on some, but others, they might've probably completely forgot about it at this point. But I think the biggest, the biggest pieces of evidence are the fact, just the connections that are there between other cases. I mean, the, the yeah. obviously the craft very similar to what we've seen in other other cases mm-hmm. the beings themselves how they looked the big block you know yeah i just get very i i get major gray alien vibes like yeah. they're or some type of of smaller like maybe an even or something like that uh-huh. that are wearing like i've i've literally heard of aliens wearing like skin tight suits that you know don't really look like clothing yeah. but just looks like their skin color but it's in fact a a suit that they're wearing that they're mm-hmm. flying these craft with. And then uh, the te- telepathic communication, another yep. big one there. Yeah. And how they was, were able to show the children like what's happening to earth. Like that was kind of like their message. Yeah. Well, the, yeah. And it makes sense that they would be talking to the children. They're like, children, like wake up. You guys are like, fucking up the planet. Yeah. So it's time for you guys to get your warning that you need to get it together. And, and yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense to me that they would, that if aliens were going to land their ship and, and sort of get out and, and have an experience with you that it would be with children because children are going to be the most open to that type of experience. I mean, it's the same way that a lot of children experience paranormal events or possession, things like that because of the fact that they're so open and it's so, you know, they're kind of susceptible to believing whatever they see. Right. And so, makes sense makes sense that the aliens be like okay well here we are you know we're not going to reveal ourselves to the adults because the adults are just going to freak the fuck out yeah and maybe do something stupid but with children you know maybe we can actually like make enough of an impact on them that they might actually do something about the earth's destruction and it yeah it seemed like they're spreading a positive message yeah yeah look what's going on it's definitely not a negative experience with if these are extraterrestrials is a very positive one in fact Mm -hmm. and so much so that it, you know, to this day, people still remember it and still 
feel a certain type of way about what they had seen Mm -hmm. experienced that day. It's very, very interesting one. I mean, that many witnesses to all have the same story. I mean, I think it's hard to deny that this, this in fact happened. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I know for me personally, I definitely believe in this one just because I've, Oh yeah. Everything I've read and what these, what these people said, what we heard these people say, I mean, it's just like, it's too many people for all of them to be lying and just mm-hmm. in, be in mass hysteria. Yeah, I think no the way. mass hysteria thing is always a stretch when it is, uh, when it comes to some of these events, because it's just like, you know, I get it there. There's definitely valid examples of mass hysteria, but like this one, I just feel it, it just doesn't make sense for it. So yeah, you'll have to let us know what you think about the Zimbabwe UFO encounter at the RL school. Cause it is a very interesting one. And hopefully you found this episode as intriguing as we did. I know the, the UFO stuff's not for everybody. Not everybody's interested in, you know, aliens and things like that. But for me, it's, it's like life or death for me. Cause it's like, <laughs> I, I'm a, I'm a major believer in life outside of earth and aliens. And Absolutely. I think it's a, a very, very real, real thing. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, we're need, still waiting on more proof, but, yeah, but it needs to be continued to be talked, talked about. Yeah. And like, I think it's all about connecting the dots between the different cases, you know, mm-hmm. going from Travis Walton to Betty and Barney Hill to, you know, the Manhattan one yeah. with, uh, with her and, and looking at the different cases and seeing the similar similarities that, that you find are, are very interesting. And it really sort of validates them. I think a mm-hmm. lot of these events and, you know, that doesn't say that there's completely ridiculous ones out there, which maybe we'll cover the Stan Romanek case one day. Yeah. Cause that's one, <laughs> one dude that I just do not believe at uh, all. Yeah. I mean, this guy literally had an alien show up at his house and peek his head through the window. <laughs> you'll, you'll love this wow. one when we do this one. Cause it's, it's like just, the movie signs. <laughs> yeah. It's that kind of shit, but it's yeah. like he filmed all of it. He got oh, it all on film. Interesting. So I don't know. We'll have to dive into that one. A lot of people yeah. believe that he really had these experiences, but I'm I'm a little bit more skeptical about him. So very interesting stuff all around though. The whole alien phenomenon yeah, for is, sure. is a real it's a real doozy. And hopefully we get more more answers soon. Mm-hmm. And you know, we'll see what happens with it. But that concludes our episode of Lights Out Podcast for today. Hopefully you enjoyed it. If you did, give us a thumbs up, subscribe to us on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it. As well as a rating and review, if you got time, it's free and it helps us out. We'd really appreciate it. But until next time, lights out, everybody. <laughs>